All right, so let's uh, let's pray and, and we'll we'll get started. Father, thank you for this time together, and just grateful God for a copy of your Word. Father, we all have such busy weeks, things that demand our attention and uh, make claims on our mind, and we're just bombarded with so much media and um, conversation. And Father, a lot of times life can seem very unsatisfying, and it can seem very um, discouraging. And so we pray, Father, that you would encourage us now in the Word, uh, understanding that, that only through Jesus Christ do we have a source of life and that your words are truth. And that, Father, we are such a privileged people uh, to be able to hold it within our hands and to read through it, Lord, when this whole world is searching for exactly what we have. So, Father, please bless us. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So where we're at, we're going to finish the, the fifth chapter of Deuteronomy today. We're picking up right after we named off the Ten Commandments. And if you remember, one of the reasons why we went through and we numbered the Ten Commandments and we briefly talked about why the Ten Commandments would have a, a, any kind of pertinent reasoning for how we live life today is because regardless if the law was given to Israel, uh, it is still profoundly used in order to accuse us of sin. It does not excuse sin, but it does accuse of sin. It does claim us guilty, but it cannot get us out of, of harm's way. That's what's important. Um, and what you find is, is that virtually all of society has been tailored, custom tailored, to be against God's Word. So I don't know if you are, are hopefully much more aware of that from having looked at some of these, just the Ten Commandments and dwelling on them and then viewing the world that you lived in. It was funny, we were coming out of a restaurant the other night in Fond du Lac, and, and we saw some guy that had a custom-tailored shirt. And man, it was all drawn in, and it kind of looked like a woman's shirt from the back. It was kind of funny. Uh, but you could tell he had had it custom done up in order to fit him, and it was very hourglass, broad shoulders, and skinny waist, and that kind of thing going on. And well, I, I just can't help but to picture the world has been custom-tailored by Satan in order to be against everything that God says. And if you want just a very clear explanation, thank you very much. Thank you very much. I, I had to sit down uh, while they were passing out the bread. I sat down next to Roxanne. I said, I hope you understand. I'm just kidding. I love you. So I felt bad using the word shut your mouth. That felt really bad. So, yeah, it's true. It's one of those things that was out there before I could grab it. I'm sorry. I should have said shut your face. Or, no, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. I could have said that. I could have said that. We could have went to first. We could have went to First Corinthians 14 and talked about how women don't speak out in church. I mean, we could have done all those things. So, uh, but anyway, if, if you ever, and this is what's amazing is, is because this is just a, a, a physical reality check. This is just like general revelation. You look out, you stare up at the sky, you see that the sun is there. You know that you didn't put it there, so there must be something else kind of thing. If you just take, if all you had was the Ten Commandments, and you knew those things and you looked at your world, you would say something is severely wrong here. And that's exactly what the law is able to do. It is able to shine a, an extremely bright light on what everybody else has accepted as true and, and deem it wrong. In fact, here's what's interesting. There's an album that has come out recently called Universal Love. And it is a collection of artists who have gotten together and have taken common wedding songs and have revamped them to be more gender inclusive. 
Thank the Lord it's not a double album, right? But like, for instance, everybody know the Beatles song, uh, And I Love Her, right? That song? Uh, they change it to, And I Love Him, and there's a guy singing it. So that's, that's the type of thing that they've done. So it's everywhere. No matter what it is, you find some sort of violation of God's covenant. So, But we are picking up chapter 5, verse 22. So does anybody have any questions or anything before we move forward? I know right now we're kind of jumping in. I haven't given you the 5 to 10 minute intro of what we've covered so far. Anybody got anything before we move forward? I want to make sure all questions are answered. And real quick, let me announce this. I didn't do announcements today. Announcements are just so weird. That's probably one thing that we would change. Everybody would be like, yeah, that's great. Um, they are weird. But here we are having a funeral here on Tuesday. If you are able to be here to help with that, that would be very beneficial because we have to move around chairs and tables. Yes. We are leaving the chairs in place for the funeral, yes. But afterwards, we'll be after the funeral ceremony is over, we'll be needing to do a meal, that type of thing, before we go to the graveside. And so we need some help moving chairs around, getting out tables, that kind of thing. If you're able to help, that would be fantastic. Yes, ma'am. Three weeks, right? I'll announce it next week, I promise. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Uh, the ceremony starts at 1030. So it would be good if people were here around that time so they're not coming in while the ceremony's going on and it wouldn't be disruptive. That'd be good. So, yeah, appreciate that. So, if you're able to make it, that'd be great. So verse 22. These words Yahweh spoke to all your assembly at the mountain from the midst of the fire of the cloud and of the thick gloom with a great voice and he added no more. He wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. Now, as much as we've gone over it and referred back to it, you know that this actual event in history is Exodus 20 verses 1 through 20. Children of Israel gathered at the bottom of the mountain and from the top where the fire is coming off of, there's lightning and stuff everywhere going on, and they actually hear the voice of God speaking to the children of Israel, giving them these ten words. <clears throat> Everybody see that, that phrase there, thick gloom? Does anybody have anything different in their translation? Thick gloom? Thick darkness. That's probably actually a, a very accurate translation as well. We have verses like God is light and in Him is no darkness at all, but we also have some things in the Psalms that the Lord dwells in thick darkness. Uh, I don't think we can get all judicial on dark and light, dark and light about certain things. Uh, because if you do that, if you, if you say, well, God is only light all the time, and so therefore every time I see light, that deals with God, and every time I see darkness, that can't deal with God. Uh, we've, we've, we've made a hermeneutical mistake is really what that is. Which, by the way... Um, <laughs> Next Sunday, I should actually probably have the brochures out that will tell you what all is going to be about the hermeneutics class and give you some of the additional information specifics. Uh, it'll be good. So, uh, but thick gloom, interpret it for what it is. It actually speaks of darkness. And there are a few instances in Scripture where the Lord dwells in darkness. If you want, I can give you some references real quick. If you just want to write them in, maybe research them later on your own, I can give them to you. Uh, Psalm 97 verses 1 and 2 is one of them. Psalm 97 verses 1 and 2. Also 1 Kings 8, 12. 1 Kings chapter 8 verse 12. 
is another reference. And then Psalm 18, verse 11. Any of those deals with the fact that Yahweh does dwell in darkness uh, in some instances. Verse 23, And when you heard the voice of the midst of the darkness, notice that, while the mountain was burning with fire, isn't that interesting? In the midst of the darkness, but there's fire that's burning. Only God can do that type of stuff. Okay? Uh, you came near all the heads of your tribes of Israel, uh, uh, and your elders. Sorry, tribes and your elders. You said, behold, Yahweh our Elohim has shown us His glory and His greatness. Now watch this. What comprises the glory and the greatness of Yahweh? Well, it's the idea of fire, an audible voice, and there being thick darkness everywhere. Now, I can't begin to imagine that, and I don't know if I could give any brilliant child some Crayola crayons and they could draw that, but that's incredible to me. Notice, the conclusion that the heads of the tribes and the elders come to is, you've shown us your glory and your greatness, and we have, here it is again, heard His voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen today, now what was the big point that God communicated there? Remember, He gave the law in order to strike fire fear into them and to speak to them audibly so that they would not sin that's how seriously Yahweh takes sin but notice what they say about this we have seen today that God speaks with man yet he lives this was unfathomable at this time it was un it could not even enter your mind that you would have some sort of audience or personal experience with God, the creator of all things at that time, and be able to still hold your life once the experience was over. That's why they cried out, Moses, don't let him speak to us any, anymore or we would lose our lives. Instead, you speak to him. He speaks to you, you speak to us. Let's have a mediator here. This, this fear is very real of them, this whole idea. And notice they are blown away by the grace of God in this whole situation, that he is able to still, they're able to have fellowship with Yahweh and not perish is the idea. So it says here, verse 25, now, uh, why, sh or I'm sorry, is that where we're at? Yeah. Now, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us if we hear the voice of the Lord our God any longer, then we will die. For... Who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and live? And the answer is, no one. What's that? Well, only Moses at that time. Yeah, Moses is actually a great representation of what it is to have a personal intimacy with God, yes. But, but, but they're, they're speaking in general, time, general terms like over all the earth. Who else, what other nation has ever had this opportunity or experience? No one ever has. Now, here's what's interesting. Verses 24, 25, 26 are a chiasm. Anybody notice it when you went through? Nope, nobody noticed it. Here's what makes this chiasm a little different. Number one, there is no central, you know, like we were doing the A, B, C, B apostrophe, A apostrophe. It is actually A, B, C, C apostrophe, B apostrophe, A apostrophe. So the C, parallel C passages are the central point that's trying to be communicated here. What makes this a little bit more difficult to identify is that the A portion is very long. So let me give it to you real quick. Verse 24. You said, Behold, Yahweh our Elohim, here it is, uh, shown us His glory and His greatness, and we, A, have heard His voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen today that God speaks with man and yet lives. Now go down to 26. 
For who is there of all flesh who has a apostrophe heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and lived? Does everybody see how that's together? And it's odd because the A, A apostrophe are such large sections compared to the rest of it. So if you look at 25, uh, at the very beginning of verse 25, B, now then, why should we die? C, for this great fire will consume us. C, apostrophe, if we hear the voice of the Lord our God any longer, B, apostrophe, then we will die. Does everybody see that? How the then we will die bookends each side of that. Now, you could sit here and you could say, well, actually all of C, C and C apostrophe is actually all just one big thing. You could, but there's, there's two separate linking ideas there. And the reason is, if we hear the voice of, of Lord our God, uh, is the second part. The first part is, a great fire will consume us. Notice that it's two different ideas. It's actually a reverse cause and effect. We will be totally consumed if we hear God's voice again, is the idea. Does that make sense? So that's why they more parallel each other instead of just being one long line. Now, how many people are totally confused or sad that you stayed for Sunday school? Okay, great. By the way, I wore, uh, I wore my Batman socks today, and I got my little capes on the back. Isn't that cool? I think that's great. I love that. I so. didn't Well, I'm just saying. I thought about during communion while you guys were standing up there just slowly doing this and seeing what, what happened, but I knew I, would, I knew I couldn't be able to get them up. I thought it'd be fun to mess with you guys, but then that would be very irreverent. So uh, anyway, so, yeah, yes, it is. And I know Ro Roxanne's waiting to go, shut your mouth. So. so verse 27, what? Oh yeah, verse 27, that's where we're at. Sorry. Go near and hear all that the Lord your God says. Now notice, this is speaking to the elders and the heads of the tribes, okay? Go near and hear all that the Lord your God says. Then, speak to us that the Lord our God, I'm sorry, it's talking to Moses, forgive me. The guys that are talking are the heads of the tribes and the elders. That's important, and the reason is leaders speak for a people. That's, that's the, the common theme we see throughout Scripture. But notice it says, then speak to us all that Yahweh our Elohim speaks to you, and we will hear, and what? Now notice, there's the agreement. If you'll think back to that instance, if you remember, when Yahweh calls Moses up and he tells him, consecrate yourself, does everybody remember that? We didn't really dwell over it too much, but it's Exodus 19 before the law is given, before it's audibly spoken from God. And he says, consecrate yourselves, make sure that you're not having any sexual relations and the whole thing. And in three days I will come and I will visit you and I will be there. Call the heads of your tribes and the elders. Come up here and tell me. And if you remember, before they ever consecrated themselves or anything, they had already agreed to what God said. Everybody remember that? It was a very odd situation. God hadn't even told them what it was yet, but the impression that Yahweh had on them so much was we're going to trust him regardless of whatever's going on. Yes, we're sticking with him. So notice here, you have the, not just that we need to just go out and do it, we need to hear it and do it. You will hear from me the very words of God and you will fulfill this out. What you've agreed to, this is the direction that you go. So he says here, verse 28, Yahweh heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me. And Yahweh said to me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people which they have spoken to you. They have done well in all that they have spoken. That last line is worth underlining. 
don't know about you, but sometimes we read about Israel and we're like, why can't Israel catch a break? You know, what is wrong with them? Well, if you notice, this is a divine assessment by the Creator. This is what I'm after. This is what I'm looking for. He's not so much worried about they don't want me or they don't want to have a personal audience with me on a regular basis. He's not worried about that at all. It's the fact that they want to hear what he has to say, and then they want to implement in their lives what he has to say. That's what God's looking for. It's just like we looked at with Saul, right? Is it all about sacrifices, the blood of bulls and goats? Is that what it is? No. I desire obedience over sacrifice. Why is that? Because rebellion's like witchcraft. That's the reason why. Us asserting our self-will is idolatry and iniquity. That's what it is. God's whole point in wanting to get across to people is the best thing you could possibly do in your life ever is obey me. That's it. God is the truth. He knows what he's talking about. And he's given us truth. Why not just listen and do it? So that's the idea here. And then verse 29. Verse 29, I have circled twice. And I have what looks like little sunbeam rays coming off of it around just to get my attention here and here's the reason why because here is god's heart if you want to know where god's heart is on full open display in this entire book of deuteronomy here it is oh that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always that it may be well with them and with their sons forever There is God's desire for Israel. And notice, what's the problem? Is the problem that they need to clean house? Is the problem they need to set up a new government? Notice that. The problem isn't they need to enact some new laws. The problem isn't that we're going to start picketing or set up a a walkout. Notice it has nothing to do with what we think today is activism that makes a change. That's not the idea. But notice what it says. What is the one thing that that sticks out to you? Oh, that they had such a what? That's the problem. The problem is the heart. What's that? Yes. I want you to actually live out what you ascribe to. Does anybody know what situation causes Christians to do that the most? Stress and trials is one big one. In fact, I would say that's probably number two. Survey says, right? We need Richard Donner up here to... Persecution. Persecution is probably the greatest way to tell a Christian living out their faith. I mean, think about it. See, one thing that we don't realize, if you ever read through the churches in Revelation chapters 2 and 3... Do a research on the background of those communities. What was going on in Ephesus? What was going on in Laodicea? What was going on in Thyatira? What was going on in Pergamum? What you find is a lot of these people belonged to labor unions at that time. And if you didn't go to the local gods and the local goddesses and the local temple, and if you didn't rent out the local temple prostitutes, and if you didn't get involved in all that mess, you got booted out of the labor unions. You couldn't earn a living anymore. You couldn't feed your family. You had no way in order to make ends meet. And so it was now worship God and die. Essentially, it was the way it was. Or bow down to false gods and hopefully you might live another day. Your very livelihood was at stake. So here's a question. You're going to lose your, 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 your job and be blacklisted from employment. You still worship Yahweh? 
You see what I'm saying? Yes, we do. Of course we do. Well, that's real easy. We all got jobs. You see what I'm saying? Imagine going to the, nothing's worse than when they swipe your card and you're like, oh, you have insufficient funds, right? Because you want to grab that person by the throat at that moment. That's how we feel. We get real carnal real quick at that moment because we know there's funds on the card. What are you saying? There's not. And it turns out to be a system glitch or something like that. Well, notice, when our livelihood is threatened, it's all the difference in the world. It's all the difference in the world. Persecution. It really brings out the application of doctrine is the idea. And I've said this before, and I think it's real important that we realize, you know, we're talking about change coming up in June. Somebody actually came up to me and said, I'm really excited about all the changes that you're going to implement. I was like, I just want a couple of songs to sing after I'm done preaching. That's all I'm asking for. You know, I want to worship instead of do announcements. So, uh, but, but here's the thing. Bible churches, by and large, have been guilty of knowing a whole lot and doing a whole little. And that's really where the church is, is, is suffering, not our church in particular, but where churches in general are suffering is, man, they got great programs and they got something for your kids and, and boy, they got this new hotshot preacher up there and they're using TV screens instead of a projector now and boy, it's just going, that guy's got PowerPoint, his Bible's on the iPad, you know, I mean, weird things like that. We've got all these things going on, but what we're not finding is we are practically making a difference in other people's lives because we are relentlessly loving them with the gospel. That's not going on. So when we talk about the idea of receiving doctrine and then doing it, you know what happens when you receive something and don't do it? That's called constipation. That's what that's called. And that largely ends up being churches. Now I got everybody's attention, praise the Lord. But seriously, a lot of that's going on in churches. And the big thing that needs to happen to get stuff moving again is the church needs to get active. The church needs to say, okay, I've taken in all this nourishing stuff. Now how does that matter in how I run? And isn't that the way that the Apostle Paul lays all that out? Run in such a way as to, live the, to win the prize. At all costs, endure to the end. I mean, he's almost like a cheerleader in some of his, of his books for us. Now here's the interesting thing. Solomon got this. Everybody put your finger here. Turn to Ecclesiastes. I know there's been like a little renaissance of, I don't know if renaissance is the right word, but a lot of people are reading Ecclesiastes. Hey man, I've been reading Ecclesiastes. I've been learning this. It's good stuff. That whole book is depressing. You almost picture, it's right before Song of Solomon. You almost picture uh, that Solomon's on a couch kind of pouring out his feelings and somebody's writing this down, right? Tell me how that makes you feel, you know, and Solomon's kind of letting you know. And Solomon's whole thing in Ecclesiastes, let me just go ahead and give you the whole book in, in, in 10 seconds. Solomon owns everything. Solomon can do anything. And Solomon has done everything. And he said, none of it satisfies me. I've done everything and none of it brings lasting joy. But if you go to Ecclesiastes, go to the very last chapter, how he ends the book. The entire depressing book is worth reading for these last two, three verses. It really is. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, look at verse 13. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep His commandments. Because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. There's Solomon's conclusion. You want happiness in life? There it is. Number one, you need to fear God. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise knowledge. Uh, is that what it is? Well, yeah, knowledge and instruction. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to remember the, the New American Standard Version. I haven't memorized an ESV, but I'm trying to switch all my memorization over. So yeah, yeah. But that's the whole idea. You can't even begin to have knowledge and understanding about something if you're not fearing God. It's impossible. That's where you start. Well, notice, Solomon, wisest man in the world, here's all that matters. Fear God, do what he says. Hear it, do it. That's it. And why is that? Because everybody's going to be judged. It applies to every person. Nobody's exempt. Everybody's going to answer for what they've done, good or evil. That sounds just like the judgment seat of Christ to me. Doesn't sound like theology is any different from the Old and New Testament. If you're a believer in, in, in Jesus, if you're, if you're a follower of the one true God at that time, if they were anticipating of the Messiah, there it is. So, moving back to Deuteronomy 5. Notice that Solomon's conclusion, even that he came up with, is this whole idea. Verse 29 is pivotal because it shows you the heart of God. What is it to be successful for the nation of Israel? That their heart would fear Him and keep His commandments always. And, and what we're going to see when we get back together in September is, how do you get truth into the heart? You teach it diligently all the time. Just like we're trying to do with Nathaniel right now. You teach it over and over and over until you're sick of it, until you want to pull your hair out. You keep teaching it, and then when they finally get it, you keep teaching it because they still need to know it because they're going to walk away from it as soon as they get the chance. So verse 30, go, say to them, return to your tents. And I think what's interesting about that is that after Moses had this dialogue with the heads of the tribes of Israel and the elders, he sent them home. Why do you think he sent them home? What's that? Teach the rest of the people? Is the idea maybe they're communicating it? I actually think that that's one thing that probably happened, but I think there might be something different. I mean, imagine, he's dropping this big bombshell. It's going on. Now, y'all go home. Well, what are you doing in a situation like that? We just heard the voice of Almighty Living God, and we're still alive, and we're profoundly blown away, and we're speaking on behalf of our people, saying, yeah, we'll learn whatever you got to teach us, and we'll do whatever you got to teach us. All right. Yeah, party, exactly. Now, y'all go home. Think about it. Think about what you just heard. Think about what you just said. Think about the commitment you just made. Now we're not, what's that? That might be a question. You know, when I'm confronted with such truth, I mean, that's the goal of every Sunday here. Why do I get so on fire about Sunday? Number one, because truth is awesome. Number two is because we actually get the opportunity to take what we have learned and then walk out these doors and look at our life and go, where does my life not match up? I might need to make some hard decisions to better glorify God because of what I've learned today. That's the point of what truth is supposed to do. It's not just to be learned, it's to change us. It's to make us different people. And it's not changing us for the worse. You mean I can't listen to the Beach Boys anymore? You shouldn't be listening to the Beach Boys anyway. They're terrible. So, I'm just kidding. <laughs> mm. <laughs> So I just tore down Mike's idol. That's great. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But you see what I'm saying? There's a lot of things sometimes we, we need to take a hard look at our lives and really ask the question, is this nurturing my relationship with the Lord? Or is it really something that's keeping me away from Him? Because here's what we know from just the nature of Satan. There is no middle ground. There is no neutral zone. There's not one. It doesn't exist. It either glorifies God or it doesn't. Sometimes we have to take a hard look, and that means parting with some things that maybe we've held dear. 
Maybe the fact that we've held them so dear is a problem. Now, let me step on this nerve while I can. It's gotten back to me that my comments about the Jesus Calling book have struck an emotional nerve with some people in the church because they love that book and they think that it's great and they don't think there's anything wrong with it and that it's just my opinion that what she has said about herself and the way that that book was written and therefore it's not true what I'm saying. So I've had 50 copies printed up out there of 10 reasons why this book is dangerous. Notice, it's striking a nerve with people. Why is it? It's not because we're arguing over whether or not this girl's saved. It's not because we're arguing over whether or not the cover of the book is beautiful. You see what I'm saying? It's, we're, not, we're not in superficial things. We're talking about the very nature of what is truth. And this woman is claiming that she just sat there, emptied her mind, had her pen out, and wrote because she wrote whatever was brought to her mind. That's called automatic writing in the occult. And it, yeah, and she said it was inspired. And the whole idea is, is empty your mind. In the 2004 edition of this book, as opposed to the 2011 edition of this book where it was removed, she actually said that she read a book called like The God Callers or something like that. And they advocate the idea of emptying your mind and actively listening. I can't think of anywhere in the scriptures where we're told to empty our minds. In fact, we're told, have this mind about you. Right? For you have the mind of Christ. We're told to keep sharp. Take every thought captive unto Christ. Beth Moore has fallen into this. Yes, because that's where he attacks. What? You, you, you try to get to a point where you think about nothing. Well, here's the idea. You know where that comes from? It was actually highly exposed with the idea of transcendental meditation. Yoga's not bad, okay? Me... Warrior one, that's not bad. Reverse war, that's not bad. What's bad is, is when I'm emptying my mind and I'm thinking good thoughts and I'm sending good vibes and I'm just letting my chi come about her. What is that? It's essentially opening up for whatever Satan wants to tell you. It is. Everybody says, well, it's not that bad. It's positive and it encourages me. Even the devil masquerades as an angel of light. What makes him so deceptive is that he's trying to be so close to the truth without actually being true. So we hit on nerves with people about the nature of truth. Great, if that ruffles your feathers, that's the whole reason why I'm here. That's the whole reason why God brought me here was to establish truth, man, because we've got to be all about it because nothing else is true. Nothing else is true. So notice, go return to your tents. Ponder this truth. Ponder this commitment that you're making to the Lord. Man, we could all stand to do that sometime. In, in moments of silence and solitude, it's not that we're not thinking about anything, it's that our minds are saturated with God's Word, dwelling on the promises that He's given us. That's what keeps us as living sacrifices from crawling off the altar time and time again. So notice verse 31, But as for you, Moses, stand here by me, that I may speak to you all the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which you shall teach. Sorry, which you shall teach them. And here's an interesting thing about the word teach here. It's the word to learn, to teach, to exercise, and to train. Notice that. It's the idea of a repetition. Why do we have the law twice in here? I'll tell you why. Because the first generation obviously didn't get it. You see what I'm saying? 
It has to be taught over and over. You read in Proverbs, you'll see some of the same stuff over and over. Why is that? Because we are so thick-headed, we don't get it. So notice, you are to train them, you are to teach them, that they may observe, interesting word, to do, to fashion, or to accomplish is that word for observe. It is ashaw is the word in, in Hebrew. To do, to fashion, or to accomplish, observe. And the reason why I'm bringing it up is because in verse 32, the word observe in English comes again, completely different Hebrew word. So it says here, which you shall teach them that they may observe, do, fashion, accomplish them in the land which I give them to possess. And possess means what? To inherit. It's an inheritance. It's a blessing that they get for faithfulness that they've put forward. Verse 32, so you shall observe to do. Now I like this because it's a Hebrew word I can pronounce, shamar. That's the name of it. I used to have a friend named shamar. Um, observe, shamar. The idea here is guard to keep it. It's like a protection type of thing, to give heed to it. In other words, it's not just a, yeah, I know that. It's a defending of it. You see what I'm saying? You're keeping it. You're guarding it. You're watching to make sure that nothing infiltrates it. Idea. So you shall observe shamar to do, notice that, the action applied, just as Yahweh your Elohim has commanded you, you shall not turn aside to the right or to the left. Now, if you remember when we read through the beginning of Joshua 1, that was the same command to him. Follow my commandments. Do not turn to the right. Do not turn to the left. In other words, what God says goes, and there are not any other answers. So often we want to try to get on the fence and we want to say, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. If you read anything about King Saul, 1 Samuel 14, he waited for Samuel for the appointed time. Samuel was supposed to show up in seven days. Samuel did not show up on the seventh day at the time that Saul thought he should be there, even though the seventh day was not over. And so Saul went forward and took the sacrifices and not being commissioned by God, he offered the sacrifices instead of Samuel, who was commissioned to do it. In other words, he had his hands in somebody else's business doing what he was not called to do. God considered that one thing, unbelief. That's what began to have the, the, the means of the kingdom ripped out of his hands. So notice the whole idea that we're moving for here, not turning to the side, right and left. There is no other way. It is simply God's way, period. That, that's a great application for all of us right now. So notice it says here, verse 33, here's where we finish. You shall walk. You shall live. The idea, the Hebrew word here is, this shall be your manner of life. Your life needs to be conformed to the word of God. And it's going to be hard for them. They've been wandering around for so long. Some of the children that were born in the wilderness, all they knew was wandering. And all of a sudden, you're going to live in a place, a house you didn't build, fields you didn't cultivate, cows you didn't bring up. I mean, I don't know. You're going to have all kinds of stuff. I want to say milk, but that's not right. Uh, but you see what I'm saying? Everything is going to be supplied for you abundantly. You had nothing before. Now you're going to have everything is the idea. So notice, your manner of life, you shall walk in all the way which Yahweh your Elohim has commanded you. Here's the reason why. Number one, that you may live. That's important. And he's talking about physical life. So that God doesn't have to judge you by taking your life. Because he will. Verse two, that it may be well with you. Or I'm sorry, number two. That it may be well with you. Notice that, prosperity. And number three, that you may prolong your days in the land which you will possess in other words obedience to yahweh is the key 
to remaining in the land. It is the key to remaining in the land. Now, are there any questions about this? I want to show you one more thing and then we'll wrap up. So he gives the 10 words again. He reiterates the importance of hearing them and doing them, implementing them. They are a manner of life. They are something you are to guard and protect, to hold to at all costs, Israel. Why? So that you'll live, so that you'll sustain your physical life. Number two, so that the Lord will provide for you in a way that you never imagined you'd be blessed before. And number three, so that your kids, 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 kids would all stay in the land. Honor God, you don't have any problems. What's he say? Okay, that's what we're doing. It really is that simple. So nothing else. Okay, let me give you a devotional aspect of how this works. Turn to Psalm 91. The idea is submitting yourself to God and God blessing you. Now we could say, wait a second, doesn't God bless us anyway? Well, yes, we could get real technical and dissect that all day long. But the real idea here is, and we see this in James, draw near to God and what? Okay, what does that mean? Wasn't God already near? Well, if God's everywhere present, how come he's not right beside me right now? Is he present in this room? He's present everywhere. He's omnipresent. So what does it mean when it says something like, draw near to him and he will draw near to you? What does that mean? Okay, notice that. What barriers in my life need to be removed? His rightful place is number one. That's always where he sits. This is the same kind of declaration that Jesus makes when he says, we don't live by bread alone. We live by every word that comes out of the mouth of the living God. That's more precious than what you're eating. You can go days without sustenance. You can't go days without God's word. See, this sounds like a radical concept, but it's truth. It's absolutely true. It's the idea of what it is to foster intimacy with him. So now, notice this same idea in a devotional aspect. If we want to take it, well, we're not Israel. How do we really understand that? Well, here's the thing. When you hear about the good news of Jesus Christ and you believe, by His grace you have been saved in that situation. Excellent. Your relationship is established. And we kind of blitzkrieg this and run through it real quickly when we do 1 John 1.9. But I tell you, God always wants more. He always wants more of His people. He always wants to use every one of our lives as a grand display of His grace in it. Why? Because let's be honest, people. Our lives reflect more of what God is able to do than often our words do. He is able to do the exceedingly miraculous through our lives. But what he's asking is, we submit to him. Notice he doesn't come in and just kind of kick us over, get out of the way, I'm taking over here. He doesn't do that. Notice that the move is we go first. We move first. Draw near to him, he will draw near to you. You don't draw near to him, guess what? You're not in fellowship with him. Still have a relationship, still saved, but... As far as actively working in your life, you being conformed to the image of Christ, that type of thing, it's not going on. So here's something interesting I want to show you. Psalm 91. And I'm going to give you the the, the designations of A and B, okay? If this will help you. Uh, if, If this is something you're like, man, I don't have time to write this down right now. I'm going to try to get through it in 10 minutes, but... If you don't have a chance to write it down now, you can simply uh, go to the website, listen back to this maybe. Uh, One thing that I find helpful for me is just getting out a notepad and writing these things out. It really helps me out a lot. So I'm going to give you A and B, and here's the question. Verse 1, 
He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And so here's the question I ask myself. How in the world do I dwell in the shelter of the Most High? Does everybody notice that it's the person's move first before God steps in and, and, and has, a, has a counteraction to that? Does everybody see that? Notice that. Where are we found? Or ask the question of yourself. Am I dwelling in the shelter of the Most High? Is that where I'm at? And we might say, well, what in the world does that look like? Well, the psalm's going to develop it for us. But notice, it's, it's a place where we need to be in relation to God. And then, if that's the case, God then provides a protection over that. Or let's say it this way. This is kind of like a weird way to do it. But let's say that, that if I have Nathaniel sitting here, and I say, are you cold, buddy? And he goes, I need a blanket. And so he pulls a blanket up to himself, and he covers himself up, okay? Then I come and with this massively amazing electric blanket and I put around him and like, dude, you are all kinds of warm now, right? That kind of thing. Notice, he made the effort to be in the place where he needed to be first and then the superior being comes in and completely clothes and goes exceedingly beyond what the person ever expected in the relationship. Do you see what I'm saying? That's what we're getting at. That's a terrible example. I just now came up with it. Love me, okay? Just love me. So... So notice, here's what I'm going to give you. A, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. That's where, that's where we are. We're the A people, okay? It, it is a position or a place in the relationship where we are putting ourselves in order to receive maximum benefit in our relationship with God. B is the benefit which God gives, okay? So A is us, B is him. Does that make sense? Okay, so... The question we're trying to ask is, what is it for us to dwell in the shelter of the Most High? Notice, if I dwell in the shelter of the Most High, notice that person will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Verse 2, A, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my... Now, what is that word? What is that word really? My Elohim, my God. Okay, is the idea. My God, in whom I trust. There's your A, because that's the person saying it, right? But here's the B. Notice this. For it is He who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His pinions, and under His wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night or by the arrow that flies by day, of the pestilence that stalks in darkness, or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. In other words, the wicked people that you thought were prospering at that time, they're getting paid back for what they did by God. And notice it says here, For you have made Yahweh my refuge. And it's interesting. What does the word refuge mean? Shelter is what it means. It means shelter from danger. Even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. That whole section is B stuff. Does everybody know what I mean when I say devotionally speaking? That this is like a thing that is supposed to encourage our hearts in it and to make us realize it's not just rote memorization and it's not just 
tables and charts and maps and stuff, but it's actually understanding that God is a person who desires intimacy with us. That's what we're looking at here. Anybody confused? Everybody with me? Anybody bored? Go for it, man. What? Sure. Yes, the idea is, the idea is, is notice in, in verse 1, the first part. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. Now that's talking about a particular person who is dwelling in the shelter of the Most High. In other words, they've done something to want to be there, is the idea. That's where they're going. That's, that's where they want to be. Okay? B is the response. Will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. That person makes the move. Yahweh makes the second move. Verse 2 I will say to Yahweh, this is the person saying this to God. And what is the confession of their mouth? Notice a lot of it here, this idea of the A has to do with confession. The A part is, is what you say. He is my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. The person who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, that is the confession on their lips. Or in other words, what we're getting at is, what does it look like to develop intimacy with God? It's the person coming to the point of saying, next to God is where I want to be. I want to say, you know what? He is my fortress. He is my refuge. I'm trusting Him. He alone is my God. There's nothing else. That's the idea of what it is to draw near to God. Is you've come to these convictions that spring forth into action. I've never known anybody that acted before they thought about it or had a conviction. Why do you do the things that you do? Not just sin. You talk to a lot of people who are addicted to porn, it's because they have this deep-seated conviction that somehow it's going to give them satisfaction. It never does. They always got to go back and get more. You talk to people who are, like, who, are, who, are, who are obese. Well, I just believe that food is so good. Mm, I love it. And they're all about that. They're always getting the chocolate cake at the end of the meal, man. You know? They've bought into this conviction that that's the happiness. Notice, the person who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, they have this conviction that He is their refuge. That He alone is their fortress. Does everybody, this makes sense. Anybody just want to go home? Okay, let's finish this up here. So notice here, the B section here from there is verse 3. B is verse 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. All this is talking about the great benefits that come from Drawing near to the Lord in intimacy. You draw near to Him, and here's what God's going to do for you. Blessing, 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 blessing. Protection, 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 protection. Deliverance, 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 deliverance. Providing, providing, providing. All of this. It, it, it's just like, man, it's almost like if you would just have the faith of a mustard seed, all these amazing things would happen. Notice we he's saying, if you just come and lean into me like this, man, will I take care of you, is the idea. So notice uh, verse uh, 11 here. Uh, for he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands that, do not, uh, that you do not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and cobra, the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. Now, some of you will recognize that from Matthew 4 because it's what Satan pulls from in order to counteract Jesus' use of Scripture. Okay? Now, you might say, well, isn't that talking about Jesus? No. Why is it not? hermeneutics i will show you why in the hermeneutics class but we don't have time to deal with it right now verse uh sorry uh so uh, forgive me verse 9 is also an a verse 
Verse 9, for you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. That's another A truth there. That is something that the person has done. And actually, verse 9 and verse 1 uh, are essentially the same thing. That's what it is to be in a shelter. That's what it is to have that confession of conviction about him. And so now notice verse 14. Verse 14 starts with an A and then it moves to a B. Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. Now notice that isn't because Jesus has loved me, because God has loved me, I will deliver him. Do we deliver God? No, it's impossible. He delivers us. But notice what Yahweh is responding to. Because he has loved me. In other words, here's what's great about this word loved. It actually means to be joined or to attach to. That you're attached to Yahweh. Now everybody get this imagery that the psalmist is painting? Being in a shelter that he is a refuge, a means of covering. I'm attached to him in this way. I'm trusting in him. He is my God. Does everybody see how all of this language ties it all together? So notice, because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely. Here's the B part. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. Notice it doesn't say I will keep him from getting in trouble. I will keep him from trouble. It doesn't say that. It says when he's in trouble, I'm there. Big difference. Notice it says here, I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life, I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation, my deliverance. Now stop for a second. Here is the moment where you're reading and everything just goes, and your mind just detonates, okay? Think about this. Look at verse 14. Because he has loved, and hopefully you have a capital M, me. Because he has loved me. Here's the question. Are you joined to and attached to, and do you have an affectionate love for God? That's a one question that needs to be asked. Now here's the interesting part. Go down through there, and look where it says at the very last line of verse 15. I will rescue him, and what? Stop for a second. Do you realize that Yahweh will honor you if you love Him? I mean, isn't everything that we've ever read in the Bible about how we're supposed to honor Him? That's not what this is saying. It's saying that He's going to actually esteem us in a place of honor. I don't remember where it is. It's in the Gospels. It's come to my mind right now. We're actually told that we will sit at tables and Jesus himself will serve us. I mean, this is the idea of the Son of God getting down on his knees and washing feet. The one who deserves all worship is looking to reciprocate his pleasure in the fact that we just wanted to dwell with him in the shelter. That just we wanted to be connected to him, attached to him calling Him our refuge, trusting in Him. He is my God. Does everybody see that? And what does God promise with that one move towards Him? Blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing. This is the whole concept, the whole idea that Yahweh wants Israel to get. Guys, if you just trust me, if you just lean into me, if you just stick with me, things are going to blow your mind you're going to see abundance like you've never known before. 
Anybody else think that's cool? Because I think it's very cool. And I don't understand it. And I tell you what, when I read something like, because He has loved me, I will deliver Him, I will rescue Him and honor Him, you, you end up like David going, Lord, who am I that You would even bother to be mindful of me? Who am I that You would even make a promise to sustain my house? I'm so insignificant. I'm so nothing. And yet, you just want to give and grace and give and grace. And you just want to grace my face off all the time. We serve an awesome God, guys. Good grief. And I can't, I can't, that's why sometimes I can't fathom, why in the world would we want to sit still for His name? You know, why would we want to not be telling people, not seek to make a difference, not do everything we can to explain the gospel, not do everything we can to lift up people in prayer. I, I, I don't know if you guys, I hope you get how cool this is. If you're looking for something to maybe dwell on, we talk about meditating on the Word. Meditate on this throughout the week, Psalm 91. Go over it and over and over. Maybe you're like, A, B, I don't get anything he's talking about. Work with it. Think about it. Reason it for yourselves. Ask God to illuminate to your understanding. Because I tell you this, until our hearts are motivated and changed, until we have a conviction that Jesus is worth doing amazing things for, nothing amazing will happen. Because we're not esteeming him where he should be. But I tell you this, if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us, and He will do so in spades. He's a beautiful Savior. So let's pray together. Thank you, God, for this time. Thank you, Lord, for how You're trying to communicate Your heart to the Israelites about the best place they could possibly be is at Your side, seeking You as their shelter. And Father, the blessings that You promised, not just to Israel for the law and having fellowship, but Father, to us is the church saved by grace and dwelling with the Holy Spirit, Lord, being changed and conformed to the image of Christ, but You still call us, draw near, draw near. Father, help us to abide. Help us to remain. Apart from You, we can do nothing. And that is such a fact of life. So help us see, Lord, Your heart, how You desire to love and to give and to grace us repeatedly. And may that fuel us as we see those things in the Word, we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys.